Good morning. We begin a new sermon series this morning on Jesus. You know, we're headed very quickly in just a few weeks to Easter Sunday morning as we celebrate the risen Lord. To prepare us for this, I want us to look at Jesus. I want us to look today at His baptism. Next week, we're going to look at the time He was tempted. And then we're going to look at some challenges He faced. We're going to look at the fact that He grieved uh, and mourned a a loss and, and mourned a situation as well. We'll look at his betrayal and those who denied him, and then finally we'll celebrate our risen Lord Jesus Christ. Well, there is nothing more exciting than baptism. Now, you would expect that to be said in a Baptist church from a Baptist preacher, wouldn't you, on a Sunday morning, obviously. But, but a long time ago, before the Southern Baptist Convention was ever birthed, before any church had the word Baptist in their name, Baptism was an exciting expression of faith and made for exciting worship. Baptism is more than Baptist. It is biblical. So I want you to open up your Bibles this morning to the third chapter of Matthew. Matthew is the first gospel, the first book in your New Testament. And I want us to begin reading um, about this baptism of Jesus. You can find uh, similar accounts of that in, in Luke's gospel as well, in, in Luke chapter 3. But in Matthew chapter 3, that's one, the one we're going to look at this morning. It says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. Now John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. Then Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region about the Jordan were going out to him, and they were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, He said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the the wrath to come? Bear fruit that is in keeping with repentance, and do not presume to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able to, from these stones, to raise up children from Abraham. Even now, the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water for repentance. But he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to John to be baptized by him. And John would have prevented him, saying, I need to be baptized of you, and do you come to me? But Jesus answered him, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill all righteousness. Then John the Baptist consented. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son. 
with whom I am well pleased. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, you are amazing God. Indescribable, uncontainable. Father, you are the God, creator God of the universe. Everything you created. Everything. Nothing would be except by your decree. All the earth, from the top of the mountain to the bottom of the deepest sea, from the heat of the equator to the frigid poles, from the east to the west, the north to the south, everything that is came from you and your sovereign hand. Father, on this earth, you crowned your creation with humanity creating us in your image for your pleasure and for your glory. You breathed life into our lungs. You provided everything we need for life. And then you promised eternal life to all who repent and call on your name. You are amazing, God. Please speak to us in this hour. Father, show us your will for us today. Draw us closer to Jesus than we've ever been before. Help us experience the love of you as Father. Help us know the joy of being one with Jesus. Bring us into the presence of your Holy Spirit that we might be both convicted and comforted and corrected and guided. Father, we are your children. You are our Heavenly Father, our Lord, our Comforter, our Savior, and We praise you with every ounce of our being this morning. Thank you, Father, for your provision. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for your sovereign, sustaining power. We lift you up this morning. We worship you. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we bow before you and give you these moments. Speak to us. You are amazing God. Amen. Well, I hope that All of you have already experienced some pretty exciting worship this morning as we praise God in song. Brian, worship band, we we thank you for that. And and you've witnessed Believer's Baptism and Ellie this morning. And uh, I I get to experience it again at 11 o'clock. We have two more lined up for baptism. I want you to think about another baptismal service, though, this morning, if you will. Can you imagine any worship experience more exciting than watching God the Father uh, speak into the life of God the Son as He was in baptism and the Spirit of God showing up in the form of a dove, God's voice blasting out for all to hear, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Verses 1 through 2 tell us in those days... John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Well, the setting uh, of this baptismal service was harsh. The Judean wilderness was dry, dusty, rocky, hot during the day, cold at night. And because of these conditions, very few people uh, were hanging out there. They didn't live there. They, they, They weren't roaming around there often. I'd love to show you this land. In June of next year, Pam and I will be taking a group alongside Bryant and Ann Wright of Johnson Ferry Baptist Church. It's June 2020, and he's been many times, he's going to be our host pastor for this trip. 
You know, Israel is only 275 miles long as its longest, about 83 miles wide at its widest. Uh, it, it, it is an interesting place to visit, and you're going to be there where, where you'll remember the things that Jesus experienced and, and the miracles that Jesus performed and his death and his resurrection. And, you know, in Israel, as, as every nation does, we all have different customs, and, and our customs are quite interesting to other people from other cultures. Well, an interesting cult, uh, custom in Israel is that they mark gravestones uh, with other rocks. I mean, when you go into a, a cemetery, you won't see flowers, fake or real, you know, laid on, a, on the uh, headstone. You'll see other rocks. I, the first time I saw that, it was in Jerusalem, and I, I thought, wow, this is so disrespectful. Somebody needs to go in there and clean it up and dust it up. And then I found out, no, that's their custom. When you think about it, though, there's no shortage of rocks to pay honor to dead people. And I mean, it's just a a dry, dusty land in many places with oases here and there where people live and, and get water and, and are able to, to eat and drink. And, and so it's an interesting place and a very rough place. And so this is where, that's the setting of where Jesus was baptized. People came to John the Baptist. They, they left their, their city areas, their dwellings, their villages, and they went to the wilderness to to take notice of this John the Baptist. Now, look at uh, uh, verse 4. Now, John wore a, a garment of camel's hair uh, and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locust and wild honey. The preacher here is the man we know as John the Baptist. And when I think of John, I think of a man's man, camel's hair, clothing, eating wild honey and locusts, roaming the desert under severe conditions of rocks and snakes. And, and John was preaching in his typical um, politically incorrect style. You brood of vipers. Now that's the way he began his message, a message that was blunt and anything but sugar-coated. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Uh, repent, for you need the forgiveness of sin. And it was a message that required something of the believer. Make straight the path of the Lord. The wilderness was a strange place to hold this worship service. And the people were coming from all around to hear his message. And if you read his sermon in Matthew 3 closely, it was simple. It was blunt. It was straightforward, it was accusatory, it was politically incorrect, it was short, it was to the point, and the people were moved to repent. And then a puzzling, amazing, some may even say a shocking thing happened. Jewish people were being baptized by a Jewish preacher. So why is that amazing or shocking or, or puzzling? Well, traditionally, Jewish people would baptize Gentiles. That's non-Jewish people as Gentiles chose to become a part of the, the Jewish community, the, the faith community. Baptism is an interesting word. You know, every culture has words that, and phrases that are unique to that culture. We're in the, uh, the beginning of March Madness, and basketball players talk about scoring in the paint hitting a three, or a backdoor cut. And if you're not familiar with, back, uh, with basketball, none of those phrases may even ring a bell to you. College students use phrases such as ghosting, or throwing shade, or no chill. I learned a new one this week, chipmunking. 
Have you ever heard of chipmunking? Evidently, it's when you need to cram for a test and you get all the, the lectures on video and you watch them at two times speed so you can watch more before the test. Chipmunking, of all things. You know, in Baptist, we have our own words, right? Baptism, getting dumped, believers' immersion. But as I've already said, baptism did not start out a Baptist word. In fact, it didn't even start out a religious word. We didn't make up the word baptism to describe something that we invented to do religiously. We used a word already in the vocabulary to describe what God had instructed His people to do. The word literally translated means immersion. And so you open up your English version Bible today, whatever translation it is, and you read through there, and then you see the word baptism. Well, it hasn't been translated. It's been transliterated. Some words, because they, they've just become so special to us over, over the centuries, the, the translators decided, we're not going to translate that word baptizo into the word immersion. We're going to transliterate it. We're going to make it sound English. And so baptizo became baptism. A Jewish mother whose kid was playing out in the mud all day might say, baptize yourself, son, before you walk into this house, all right? A, a seamstress might say to her helper, baptize that piece of wool in that vat of, of, of crimson dye because I want to make a, a crimson-colored scarf. And, and so to, to baptize was not to sprinkle or to pour. To baptize was to dip or to dunk until it was completely covered, and, and so that when it came out, it was completely changed. And so we see the symbolism there. So for a Jewish person to be baptized, it was amazing because they thought that they were, they were already right with God because they were Jewish. They were the chosen people. They had the same attitude then that many in the United States have today who call themselves Christians. Now, it's interesting, in our culture today, in the last decade or so, fewer people in the culture are identifying with Christian. But many of us grew up in, in, in the day and time when Almost everyone identified themselves as Christian, whether they went to church or not. Their mom and dad were Christian. Their, their granddad was a, a, a Methodist preacher. Uh, they were born in a Christian country, and so they were Christian as opposed to some other faith. Now, many just say they're nothing uh, whatsoever. But those who call themselves Christian from a cultural standpoint are just like these Jewish individuals who would, who would say, I'm, I have a, a right standing with God because I'm Jewish, because God, God chose us. And, and so here we have Jewish people being baptized by a Jewish preacher in Israel. Watching this baptism would make jaws drop. If you were there, you would have probably heard people whispering and asking questions. What in the world's going on? Did you see that? I can't believe that. What do they think they're doing? Why are they doing this? And, and I suspect little kids in the crowd pushed forward to, to see, to get a closer look at what was going on because of the tall people all around them. But John, here, here we have John baptizing Jesus. In, in Matthew 3, 13, it reads, then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. 
So after John baptizes Jewish people who had repented of their sin and who were Jews, here we have Jesus, also a Jewish person, but the Son of God who walks up to be baptized himself. Not to baptize others, but to be baptized himself. John knows who Jesus is. They're related. They're cousins. He knew him as a kid. But John also knows that he is the Son of God. In the Gospel of John, Jesus is is walking close by, and John the Baptist points him out and says, There is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Now, that's an odd phrase, the Lamb of God. Uh, Maybe it's not odd if you grew up in church all of your life, but for those who who may be new to the faith or, or, or searching and seeking this morning, that's an odd phrase, the Lamb of God. It comes from the Passover. The Jews had a tradition that they celebrated their freedom from slavery in Egypt every year through a Passover meal instructed by God with, with all of these particular things that they were to do that God instructed them to do. Unleavened bread. They were to, to take a, a lamb a firstborn, unblemished lamb. You can't eat lamb unless you sacrifice the lamb first, right? The, the lamb was slaughtered. And the blood was, uh, was saved. And the blood was splashed on the, the doorpost and the lintel, the, the frame above the door. And, and God used that as a sign. He said, I want you to do this. And if you do that, then, then this night I'm going to pass over your house and spare your firstborn son. But for all the the people that don't do this, all the Egyptians who who aren't of the faith, I'm going to take their firstborn son from them. So it was the Passover meal. They've been doing this, and and now they know what a lamb that's slaughtered is. It's the lamb that was sacrificed so that their sons would be spared. And so now Jesus is likened to the lamb of God. He's sacrificed for the sins of others. We're going to have a Seder meal. Passover is also referred to as a, I mean, the Passover meal as a Seder meal. Murray Tillis has been in our church. He's preached for, he's before us before, and, and he's also led us in a Seder meal. On the Tuesday night before Easter, we're going to have a, a time to gather here and go through uh, all of the rich, deep, beautiful symbolism of the Passover meal. You can go online right now and register to be a, a part of that. So John knows that Jesus is the perfect Lamb of God. He is the sinless Son of God. He knows Jesus doesn't need to be baptized for repentance and the forgiveness of his sins because he has no sin. He has nothing for which to repent. But Matthew tells us that Jesus came to John to be baptized. And John says to Jesus, I need to be baptized by you, not the other way around. And Jesus, in verse 15, says, Let it be so now, for thus it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. What what did Jesus mean by that? What did Jesus mean? I need to do this to fulfill all righteousness. He was righteous. In fact, it's His righteousness imputed on us that, that saves us. First of all, in baptism... Jesus chooses to identify with sinners, with you and me. When he was born, he he became like us in the form of a baby. He identified 
with us in birth. When he was at the appropriate age, he was taken to the temple and circumcised. In that, he identified with all the, the newborn males in Israel. And then when he reached the age of, of 12, as a young man, his parents took him to the temple for the first time. So he identified as a young man. And now at the beginning of his public ministry, he's identifying with us yet once again, and he's doing it in baptism. But Jesus is also setting an example for us. He's setting an expectation for us. He expects us, after repentance, to be baptized. And so he's baptized to show us that he wants us to do that as well. And so when a person decides to become a Christ follower, Jesus wants them to be obedient to this command of baptism. Second, our baptism points to Jesus' death his burial and resurrection. And that's the gospel. Jesus wants us to be baptized to tell the world that we believe that Jesus Christ died in our place and that his death paid for our sins, that he was buried, put in the grave, but on the third day God raised him from the dead, proving that God is more powerful than sin that put him in the grave, and he's more powerful than death. He's more powerful than the grave itself. So in baptism... You see, Jesus' death, when a, when a person is lowered into the water, just as we lowered Ellie earlier this morning into, into the water, we don't sprinkle a, a dead body with dirt. We place the dead body in the ground. And in baptism, you see Jesus' resurrection because we bring that person up out of that watery grave. And when we baptize here at First Baptist, ministers usually will say something to this effect. You've been buried in Christ and now raised in Christ to walk in newness of life. And, and that comes from Romans chapter 6, verse 4. As Paul said, we were buried, therefore, with him by baptism, buried by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So when Jesus said, do this to fulfill all righteousness, he was identifying with us as sinners, and he was showing us what was going to happen to him. He was going to, to be killed, crucified. He was going to be buried, and God was going to, to raise him. And then he's also pointing to what happens with us as we die to our sin, and God raises us to walk in newness of life and the Scripture said Jesus was praying, and the heavens opened up. I don't know what that looked like. I wasn't there, and, and the biblical writers don't give us any more, any more understanding than the heavens were open. Perhaps it was like a cloudy day, and the clouds parted, and, and you know, a, one of those singular sunbeams just came down like a spotlight. I don't know. But from heaven, we do know this. The scripture said, we heard, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. That's what it says, Romans chapter 3, 16 and 17. And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water. And behold, the heavens were opened to him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. First, we have Jesus. It's a perfect picture of the Trinity. God the Son 
being baptized and praying. Second, we see the Holy Spirit descend like a dove. That's God the Spirit encouraging Jesus, comforting Jesus, anointing Jesus. And finally, we hear the voice of God the Father speaking to Jesus, His Son. So at this point, God the Father, God the Son, both know that Jesus has set His face on Calvary. He's going to Calvary to be obedient to the Father, to die on the cross for our sins. That's exactly what Jesus came to do to die on the cross for us, to pay the penalty of our sin, to provide the only way possible for you and I to get to heaven. So the Father is saying, hey, everyone, that's my boy. I'm proud of him. Now, that's exciting worship. If you were there, can you imagine hearing that, seeing that, experiencing that? It's a beautiful picture of the Trinity. Not three gods, but one God revealed to us in three forms, Father, Son, and Spirit. Do I understand the Trinity perfectly? Absolutely not. Clearly, no way. Fully, I I, I want a God so big that I can't understand Him and I can't explain Him. I don't want a God small enough that I could explain Him to you completely and wrap it up in a nice package with, with a bow. No, God is much greater than that. And so we have the Trinity clearly shown before us. And just as Jesus' baptism made for exciting worship, when you say yes to God in baptism, that's exciting as well. When you honor God, that's exciting. When you are obedient to God in believers' baptism, that is exciting. All of these acts of obedience draw you closer to the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only is it exciting for you when you're obedient to believers' baptism, but it's exciting for everyone else. I mean, how many of you here today witnessing Ellie's thought about that time when you were obedient to the Lord Jesus Christ as well? And you remember that, that feeling of, of unity and closeness and, and that excitement of beginning a new venture, following Jesus Christ with all of your heart and being obedient to Him. And so it's exciting for those who witness that as well. 